Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 78 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and as you might guess from the title of this episode, I'm going to use a couple of examples from the Broadway musical Hamilton. Of course, this is to demonstrate some concept of family systems theory. I'd love to hear if you think this is helpful. So without further ado, here is episode 78. The original title for this episode was People Pleasing, Narcissism, and Self-Differentiation. I got the idea while listening to a podcast conversation between relationship therapist Esther Perel and organizational psychologist Adam Grant. Perel described people pleasing as not being able to tolerate the fact that somebody else doesn't like your response. She noted that this is learned behavior from childhood when one learns that pleasing a caretaker, typically a parent, is a condition of attachment. People pleasers pretend to agree with everyone, feel responsibility for how others feel, blame themselves a lot, or think that others are blaming them, so apologize a lot, have difficulty saying no, and are uncomfortable when someone is mad at them. Because of this, they avoid conflict and don't admit when their feelings are hurt. My tendency is toward people-pleasing, so I recognize these tendencies. But then I ask myself, what is the opposite of a people-pleaser? I didn't come up with an exact opposite, but I did come up with something on the other end of the spectrum of people-pleasing, and that's narcissism. This is a form of people-pleasing where people try to please others to maintain their sense of self-importance and their constant need for praise and attention. Narcissists have a sense of entitlement. They lack empathy, and they lack the ability to regulate their responses. They are often lashing out at those they think have wronged them. And when they think they're right, they don't apologize. They don't take responsibility for self, but blame others. From a family systems perspective, both people-pleasing and narcissism are forms of reactivity. People-pleasing is adaptive reactivity. It's being unable to say what you believe in a healthy way because you are afraid of what other people think. The primary force behind people-pleasing or adaptivity is the need for emotional connection. It is caring so much about one's relationships with other people that one is afraid to make them angry or upset. For the people-pleaser, emotional connection takes precedence over self-definition to the point that one is not able to take a non-anxious emotional stand. On the other hand, narcissism is all about self-definition. It is reactivity in the sense that instead of the anxiety being buried internally, it's focused externally. 
There is a refusal to take responsibility for self and no concern about connecting with others. It's all about what I want, regardless of what other people want. Self-differentiation is neither people-pleasing nor narcissism. It's the ability to hold the twin desires for emotional connection and self-definition in appropriate tension. It's the ability to self-define, to know what you want and not be afraid to express it. And at the same time, it's the ability to connect with others emotionally, to have empathy in a way that fosters healthy relationships. A self-differentiated person is able to express what is important to her, even if it makes others angry or upset. And when people are upset, she is able to maintain a non-anxious stand while staying emotionally connected. She takes responsibility for self, not for others. As I mentioned, the original title for this podcast was People-Pleasing Narcissism and Self-Differentiation. Then I watched Hamilton. This past Friday, my wife and I watched the streaming premiere of Hamilton, the Disney production of the original cast of Hamilton on Broadway from 2016. We had previously attended a touring company production of the show and loved it, and we occasionally listened to the music, so we were anxious to see the original cast. We were not disappointed. What I realized when watching this time is that Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, the two protagonists, provide some great examples of people-pleasing and narcissism in the play. First, I want to recognize that Hamilton is a dramatization of Alexander Hamilton's life. If you do any fact-checking on it, you'll find that it is mostly accurate, especially in broad brushstrokes, but it is entertainment, and as such, some dramatic license has been taken. For example, Hamilton was against slavery, but he was not as staunch an abolitionist as the play makes him out to be. He was a co-founder of the New York Manumission Society, but actually never lobbied hard for abolition. Historians believe that his father-in-law, Philip Schuyler, owned slaves and that Hamilton managed the slave sales for his family. That being said, life is complicated and context matters. Hamilton was against slavery, but it was more about his political career and his legacy. All that said, I think the production of Hamilton is a work of genius. It is highly entertaining, and it has gotten young people interested in history. That's not a bad thing. And it gives some examples of people-pleasing and narcissism. If you're familiar with the musical, you might guess that Aaron Burr is the one that represents the people-pleasing side. He advises Hamilton very early in the second number, talk less, smile more, don't let them know what you're against or you're for. This is people-pleasing as a political strategy, but it's more than that because even Burr's friends and compadres in the revolutionary movement don't know exactly where he stands. The ultimate example of this lack of self-definition was Burr's willingness to switch parties to run against Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law, Philip Schuyler, for the U.S. Senate. I should note that historically, it's not entirely clear that Burr actually switched parties. It's likely that he was not completely aligned with either the Federalist Party, which was Hamilton and Schuyler's party, nor the Democratic-Republican Party, which was the party in which he ran and won. 
This emphasizes Burr's people-pleasing even more because he was trying to play the middle and stay connected to both sides. The ultimate narcissistic act for Hamilton in the production was the writing and releasing of the so-called Reynolds pamphlet, where he reveals an extramarital affair with Amanda Reynolds, as well as the payment of hush money to her husband, James. Hamilton was forced to do this because James Reynolds was caught in a scheme to take the unpaid back wages of Revolutionary War veterans. When he was caught, he threatened to implicate Hamilton as a co-conspirator. This would have been disaster for the first Secretary of the U.S. Treasury of the United States. So in the play, it shows that Hamilton writes this Reynolds pamphlet to show that the money that changes hands, the money that he pays James Reynolds, has nothing to do with the scheme to take veterans' wages, but has to do with black being blackmailed by Reynolds for an extramarital affair with his wife, Amanda. The problem is that this pamphlet shows no regard for the impact of this revelation on his family. There was no consideration to the pain this would cause his wife, Eliza. The point was to save his own skin. Interestingly, some historians speculate that the pamphlet itself was made up, that the affair with Amanda Reynolds was actually a fabrication because Hamilton was involved and he did this to manipulate the situation to save his political career. Of course, that would make things even worse. Now, there is scant evidence for this, but it is a theory because there is also no evidence that the Reynolds affair ever happened. No letters between Amanda Reynolds and Alexander Hamilton. No actual evidence to show that the two had an affair. In either case, this would be considered narcissistic behavior. We do know that Alexander Hamilton was extremely concerned about his legacy. This behavior shows he was more concerned with it than the damage it might do emotionally to his family. It was all about self-definition. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. And less about emotional connection. Of course, these are characters in a musical production and in entertainment. You have to have conflict. And these are ways that conflict is created, then resolved. But I think they're great examples of people-pleasing and narcissistic behavior. Life is more complicated than this, and certainly Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton were more complicated than these two examples. What I will say is that because it is hard for most of us to be self-differentiated or to act in self-differentiated ways, we will have a tendency to either move towards the people-pleasing side or to the narcissistic, to the self-definition without emotional connection side. In fact, in my life, I've done both. If you've read my book, Anxious Church, Anxious People, you might remember this story. I grew up as someone who was unable to take non-anxious emotional stands with my mother. Now, my mother is a very strong personality, but she didn't dominate me. She wasn't requiring my approval, but I felt the need to give it anyway. So the problem was with me, not with her. And what that meant was I behaved in adaptive ways. Whenever she asked something, I always did it. If I disagree with it, I was not able to express myself in a healthy way. 
that all changed when I felt a call to ordain ministry. And because I did not grow up in a Christian household, my parents weren't Christians, I knew that expressing that to them would be hard for them to understand. I worked up my courage and I finally called my mom and I told her that I wanted to go into the ministry. And for the next month or so, it was like a full court press. She would call me and say things like, do you really believe in the virgin birth? Do you really believe in the resurrection? She would write notes to me. Do you know you're never going to have any money? And and so on and on and on, she was trying to convince me that this was the wrong thing. Now, to her credit, she was being non-anxious, but I was the one who was feeling anxious. And normally, I would have folded like a cheap lawn chair. Normally, I would have just given in. But because I felt the call before, because this was something that I felt God was calling me to do, I was able to be firm and non-anxious and just say, you know, mom, I understand what you're saying, but I really feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And so after about a month, she finally called and said, if you really believe that this is what you want to do, dad and I will support you. And part of the dynamic that was going on here was that my dad was not really emotionally present. So it was always between my mom and me, and perhaps that contributed to the intense relationship that we had and my desire to be a people pleaser to her. Regardless, what this was was the beginning of my growing in self-differentiated ways. I then went to seminary and encountered family systems theory, and I started to understand what it meant to actually be self-differentiated, to act in self-differentiated ways, and I began working on that intentionally. And it really became clear to me that it was that moment when I was able to say what I really believed to my mom in a healthy way, that it, it started to unlock that ability to both have self-definition and connection. I actually realized that when I was at a hotel, when we had taken our daughters away for a birthday weekend. I had done research on the hotel and they said it was a beautiful restored hotel where the stars used to go on Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. We got there and it was a dump. We got to our room and it was old and tired. The carpet seemed like it was 100 years old. And I went back downstairs and I asked if we could have another room. We went to the second room and it was the same way. And, and it became clear to me that the, the hotel was just tired. Now, in the past, I would have not been able to express myself. In the past, I would have just taken it. I would have been a people pleaser even for the clerk at the hotel. I think it was partly because I didn't want my daughters to be disappointed and partly because I felt like I was better able to express myself in healthy ways. We went downstairs and I said to the clerk, I'm sorry, but this is not what we were expecting. We are not going to stay. And the clerk was very kind about it and actually offered to refund our money. And we left and went to another hotel. What I realized in that moment was that I was starting to grow in my ability to express myself in a healthy way. If I had been more reactive, I could have yelled at the clerk and stomped up and down about how awful the place was. But in reality, it's not the clerk's fault. The clerk is just working there. And so I was learning and growing to be more self-differentiated in those anxious moments. 
I've also found, though, that over time, because I have gotten less focused on emotional connection, I've actually moved in the direction of being narcissistic. Sometimes I do things without the sense of emotional connection that needs to happen because people matter, because relationships matter. There is this tension where we need to be able to express what we believe. We need to be able to give others the freedom to disagree, but we also need to have emotional connection with those others. I recall a couple of years ago, our staff had a real intense discussion about whether or not we were going to put carpet in our camp dining hall. Now, the rest of the staff thought I was crazy but I felt like the dining hall needed something to make it feel more comfortable. It was really hard to hear in there, so having carpet would help insulate it, and it would just improve the experience for campers and guests. Well, we discussed this for something like four or five months, and we had heated discussions, and in the end, I just felt like the reason that people were against it is because it was going to be too much trouble. And what I really felt was that this was an opportunity to really improve what we could offer to our guests. In most cases, I will listen to what people are saying. But in this case, I just felt like I was right and they were wrong. And I guess just in that, there is some narcissistic tendency. But the real mistake that I made was I, I forgot about emotional connection. And one day I just announced at a staff meeting that this is what we were going to do. But one of our key staff persons was not at the meeting and I hadn't even thought of that. And so they found out later just kind of through back channels and were really upset because I hadn't taken the time to share that with this person. Now, if I had been less narcissistic in this situation, what I should have done is gone up to that person prior to the staff meeting and said, I know you're not going to be at the staff meeting, so I want to let you know this is a decision I've made. I know you don't agree with me, but I really believe it's in the best interests of the ministry. And if I would have done that, it would have enabled this person to maintain connection, to still feel in the loop instead of being blindsided by hearing secondhand that the decision had been made and this person wasn't even at the meeting to hear it. Ultimately, I realized my mistake and I apologized for having overlooked that important emotional connection that needed to happen. I couldn't undo the mistake, but at least I could own it. At least I could take responsibility for it. And to me, this is the point. This is the tension between this idea of people pleasing and narcissism. We, we don't really want to be either. We don't want to be all about emotional connection to the point that we can't express ourselves, nor do we want to be so self-defined where we express ourselves without having emotional connection. So it is, self-differentiation is about both. It's about knowing who you are, what you believe, and being able to express that in healthy ways, and being able to stay emotionally connected to people, especially when they are upset, and being able to own your position while also caring for the other person. This, to me, is the essence of leadership. So that's it for episode 78. Uh, I would love to hear what you think about it. You can connect with me at thenonanxiousleader.com and you can sign up for my blog. I send out an article on leadership every two weeks as well as a two for Tuesday email with two recommendations 
every Tuesday on articles, podcasts, resources that I have found helpful as a leader. And one more thing, if you are finding these podcast episodes helpful, please pass it on to a friend. Please let a friend know that family systems theory exists and it can help them as a leader. So until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.